The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Sully and Traps, Chris DePasso and Tyler Sullivan. And today is our 2023 NFL Draft Recap. Make sure you stay tuned all week long for all of your off-season news. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. If you're listening to audio only, do the same. Download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. All right, guys, the draft is over. I think there's a big exhale that can come from both of you. First of all, how many mock drafts did y'all do this year? Um, I can start because one of those sites grinding the mocks that like gets the consensus board. I tweeted out, I think when I sent in my last one, like it felt like that was my 800th mock. And the guy that actually runs that site, Eric Robinson said, uh, we have you in our database. You've done 36 of them. So from September until late April, I did 36 mock drafts, which feels like embarrassing that I just admitted that, but it's all from the editors. They love the mock drafts. Fans love them. So I'm definitely okay with not doing any mock drafts for a while. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do nearly as much as you guys. I mean, you guys do all the heavy lifting over there, Ryan Wilson, Josh Edwards, yourself. I mean, you guys really do some crazy stuff over there. I was mostly focusing on like Patriots seven round mock drafts and things mm-hmm. like that. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. They didn't hit any of my picks, which I think is a front to Bill Belichick. Just not liking what I picked. It was, it was kind of rude. <laughs> kind of rude. And I will say there's some people in the comments talking. Brinson is on vacation. He has earned a well-deserved vacation this week on a golf trip out there with his dad. So that's where he is today. All right. A lot of talk about how the Eagles picked up a lot of dogs, a lot of Georgia Bulldogs in the draft. We know that Billy feels very excited about this. And if I invited him on, he'd probably be wearing sunglasses, but we'll hold on to that for a little bit later. <laughs> but how about the real dogs of the draft? And I'm talking about actual pets and animals. And I felt like this year's draft, we saw a lot more than we have, particularly in the third round, maybe where we see some of them. But what were some of your guys's favorite pup appearances? Like this one was so great. Obviously, on that broadcast, they had, I think, I don't know what the shelter was, something in KC where all the dogs came on and then one dog accidentally peed on, uh, on an animal. <laughs> on Jeremiah. There. 
<laughs> yeah. Which was um, uh, that, hilarious. That was good. And, but I'll start, I think just from being a bills guy here mm-hmm. in Western New York, I got to go with Dalton Kincaid's dog. Although I did feel a little bad because it was a little dog got really excited when his family erupted <laughs> when he got picked. But I think for all the dog owners out there, like we've been there, whether it be you're celebrating a touchdown on your favorite team, or sometimes if something bad happens, the dog's like there with you in the moment. I don't know if that dog knew what was happening, but what's great about that for the Kincaid family and for Dalton, obviously, is that he'll always be able to watch that back. And it's almost like you zero in on the dog to see how that dog is reacting. So I thought that was a really cool moment. We got to see so many of those families and picks um, get so excited when they got selected over the last three days. But it was great to see the dog get involved, too. Yeah, I mean, we, this goes back to the, the the pandemic when we had Nike, Bill Belichick's dog. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. For everybody. I mean, you know, this is, <laughs> for whatever reason, the, the NFL draft is all about dogs at this point. But I, I'm with you, too. The Kincaid uh, dog, just freaking out. It was. It reminds me of when I my family dog, we put on the vacuum and it just freaks yeah. out oh. and absolutely runs away. But, you know, that's dogs are great about that stuff. So, no, I think that that was probably my favorite one of the weekend or the one that uh, urinated on Daniel Jeremiah. That was that was a plus stuff. <laughs> that was just, yeah, good television. I will say I like Chase Brown's dog because he had just got drafted to the Bengals, was crying, very emotional, and the dog didn't know what to do. And he kept trying to give him kisses to make it better, which was so cute. And then the Cardinals, of course, had a dog in their war room uh, helping them make the picks. But, uh, okay, that's enough about the real dogs of the draft. Just thought that was a fun way to open this up. Let's grade some teams. Traps, I saw your article, and you graded pretty much every single team on here. We've got letter grades for everyone. We're going to be professors today, A through F. Now, maybe nobody failed this draft, but let's go ahead and start with the A's. Sully, which team would you grade an A? I have two teams in there. We'll start with one of them. We'll start with the Tennessee Titans, and it's really for the top half of their draft. They identified Peter Skaronsky as the tackle that they wanted to have succeed. Taylor Luan to lead that offensive line. You say, okay, that's fine. They passed on the quarterback. They didn't feel like they needed to kind of bring somebody in. Nobody was available to them at that spot in the first round. And the only guy that was on the board was Will Levis. And you're thinking, okay, well, he's going to be long gone by the time we get to day two. He infamously falls. They trade up and now acquire their quarterback of the future that they can build around behind Ryan Tannehill at a second round value. To me, the value there with Will Levis is through the roof. And I do like Tajay Spears as well, the running back out of Tulane there as well. I think that there was some knee injury concerns, which is obviously something that we have to watch here. But ultimately, I do think he's going to be a valuable piece as we're kind of talking about the future of Derrick Henry over the next few years here as well. So that kind of top portion of the draft for me with Tennessee is what I really like to give an A. How about the fact that, just to quick piggyback off what Tyler just said about Tajay Spears, did either of you catch that during the broadcast when he got picked, I think it was Ian Rappaport did one of his little side reports and said that Tajay Spears doesn't have an ACL in that knee anymore? Like his Bizarre. He had, he had an injury like in the past at Tulane or like multiple ACL tears, and they're like, hey, you don't have an ACL, and he like ran for over a 1,000 yards and was a third-round pick. I thought that wow. was pretty crazy. Don't have to worry about that once it gets to the yeah. NFL level. That was nuts. That is nuts. All right, Traps, what's your A grade? Pittsburgh Steelers. I absolutely love what they did. Um, uh. we, we will talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. I know Billy's back there in the <laughs> digital control room waiting to hear us just rave about the Georgia Bulldog-themed uh, uh-huh. Eagles draft. But I'm going to stay in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Steelers. Roderick Jones, I didn't love him at 14 overall, but it made sense. They need an offensive tackle for the future. Kind of the start of this Kenny Pickett, George Pickens era. 
And then from rounds two through rounds four, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, at 52, uh, Keanu, or at 32, Keanu Benton. I loved him out of Wisconsin. He kind of feels like that Pittsburgh Steelers nose tackle that is powerful, that can get up the field. Is going to be a great run defender on that defense, along that defensive line with TJ Watt. And I love Darnell Washington, the fourth round pick, tight end from Georgia, one of, I think, 13 or 14 Georgia Bulldogs that were picked. He was um, my draft crush for the Niners. I was so bummed. I I just think he has untapped potential as a receiver. And that in today's NFL, because there's Travis Kelsey, because there's George Kittle, it's easy to say, hey, look, your tight ends have to be these explosive separators. Darnell Washington was the number two athlete recruit coming out of high school. They just bulked him up at Georgia so he could become a good blocker. And he is. Only caught 45 passes in college. But I think after the catch, he can be that bulldozer that can run over guys. We saw him hurdle players in college. I really liked how they addressed those picks. And then late in round seven, uh, Corey Trice, the cornerback from Purdue, super long, great tackler, barely ever misses a tackle, uh, very good ball production in college. And even Spencer Anderson, offensive guard from Maryland. I thought he was very controlled, a uh, great pass blocker, low center of gravity. It just felt like the Steelers addressed positions that they needed with prospects that aren't just slight needle movers. I think they can be instant impact even with Broderick Jones, but Joey Porter, Darnell Washington, Keanu Benton, there was a very Steeler, like classic Steelers draft. And I had a lot of those prospects actually graded higher than where they were picked. And I didn't even really mind them trading up to going to get Broderick Jones because I think we all kind of felt like the New York Jets were going to take yeah, a tackle there call. if he was available. They, they leapfrogged the Jets to, you know, yeah, maybe it's a little bit too high in, in your mind, but ultimately he wouldn't have mm-hmm. been available to them if, if, if they just kind of stood pat and let them go the way that yep. they were probably going to go. So I think you had one more, right, for your yeah. A's? Yeah, I had the Cincinnati Bengals in honor of John Breach because what, why not, of course. <laughs> and so, you know, to me, I, I think that this team is already, and we can all agree on this, right? They're already ready-made to contend for a Super Bowl, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. They need to beef up that defense. And so bringing in Miles Murphy at 28 overall, addressing the secondary after losing a couple of key pieces in free agency this year, to me, that just makes a lot of sense. DJ Turner, Jordan Battle, I mean, to me, those are moves that I think are going to help them immediately. And then you go later on in the draft, I like Charlie Jones. He was someone like you were saying, Katie, like you had a draft crush. This is a guy that I wanted the Patriots to draft because I know full well they won't take a guy in day one or day two as a pass catcher. This is a guy that I thought maybe in day three they could go and target. He's somebody that I think is going to be, you know, doesn't he's not going to contend for targets right out of the way because there's you know T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd in that receiver room. But I think he's someone that they can develop over the next couple of years here and be a good option for Joe Burrow down the line. Yeah, I I really liked what they did, too. I'll go with the, the Indianapolis Colts as my other team. Um, I don't know when we're going to squeeze in the Philadelphia Eagles talk if we're already going to move past the <laughs> after this. But I love the Indianapolis Colts draft because Anthony Richardson was my number one quarterback. I think his upside is through the roof. Pairing him with Shane Steichen, we heard all about the connection, Jalen Hurts, how he developed him. thought that was a home run pairing at the game's most vital position inside the top five. Just looking down here at all the rest of their picks, they had a bunch. And Chris Ballard, their GM, normally leans to the high caliber athletes. And that's kind of a philosophy that I have that I I love those guys that have those big combine figures. Now in the past, Chris Ballard has picked a lot of those high caliber athletes who are not really good football players. And a lot of them have flamed out, especially early this year. I think he got good football players who are also explosive athletes like Julius Brents, the corner from Kansas state who Ryan Wilson absolutely loved in this draft class. 
Josh Downs, the wide receiver from North Carolina in the third round. Some mocks had him going late in the first. And then Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle from BYU, needs to get stronger, but I think he could be a franchise left or right tackle eventually. Uh, Darius Rush from South Carolina, uh, super long, played opposite Cam Smith, who went in the second round to the Dolphins. Uh, very battle-tested in the SEC, saw pretty much NFL-caliber talent every single Saturday. Even Daniel Scott and Will Mallory, the safety from Cal, the tight end from Miami, I think are guys who are older players that can come in and be instant impact types, be even being later picks. One last name I'll highlight, Evan Hall, the running back from Northwestern. Of course, this is Jonathan Taylor's backfield, but Evan Hall was like the entire offense for Northwestern last season, caught a ton of passes. Uh, it just seems like with him, Josh Downs, Will Mallory, who was a really someone that was on the draft radar for multiple seasons, they built a nice uh, group of skill position players around Anthony Richardson and then plugged in pieces on the defensive side. So I've been a little iffy on Chris Ballard's uh, drafts of late with the Colts, but this year I think he matched the athleticism with guys who are actually legitimately good at football this year. Yeah, no, I agree with you, especially with that Evan Hull pick. I think that that was one of the more underrated pieces of Indy's draft entirely. I think he could be a third down kind of receiving back for them for the next few years. So here's one that's popular in the chat. Seattle did very well. This is what Victor Garcia says. Give them an A. I know that this was not a team that made these short lists that we did. Dom obviously agreeing with him. How do y'all feel like Seattle did? I can start. Uh, I was a little perplexed by the Devin Witherspoon pick, not because of the player, but because they drafted Tariq Woolen, who had, what, five or six interceptions last year, and Kobe Bryant, who was very good. Um, they were both rookies last season. I didn't see that as like a very glaring need, but I thought edge rusher and interior defensive line were the big needs. I love Derek Hall. I had a first round grade on him. They got him in the second round. JSN, obviously, is just such a fun, I guess, number three to start his career. Um, but to learn from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf will be awesome for him. Charbonnet was a little perplexing because kind of the same deal. Kenneth Walker last season, runner up offensive rookie of the year, but that's a great one two punch. Um, and then Olu Oluwatimi, the center from Michigan. I loved him. I thought he was a less athletic version of Elton Jenkins, who's been so good for the Green Bay Packers. Just unfazed against power. His balance is awesome. They got him in the fifth round, and they needed more interior offensive line fortification. So the Seahawks, kind of that surprise team that squeaked into the playoffs last season, I think they did have one of the better drafts in this class. Travis, let me ask you this, though. You know, this is a team that I think a lot of people looked at like, you know, Detroit is in the same kind of conversations, maybe taking Mm -hmm. a quarterback at that top spot. Were you in that camp? Because I kind of feel like this is an opportunity where they're not going to there's a good team. They're not going to be picking at five in the foreseeable future. This is kind of one of those scenarios where it's you could have had your kind of your cake and eat it. too. you could have had that quarterback of the future and still built a pretty good draft for the here and now. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's actually a philosophy, Sully, that I kind of adhere to that when you're a team that for whatever reason, whether it be a trade, whether it be a surprise season that you're like, whoa, we're picking that number five overall, you really need to consider quarterback unless you have a young, legitimate franchise guy. Of course, they signed Geno Smith, but his deal is not, you know, four, five, six years and he's getting up there in age. Had Anthony Richardson been there, I think they probably would have picked him. He kind of fits the athleticism that they really like in the first round. Um, So yeah, that was probably one of the reasons outside of those doubling up at corner and running back 
why I was a little bit lower on it because I still think they should have considered Will Levis, even though I was lower on him for what you just pointed out. Quarterback is so valuable and you might not be picking that high again if they ultimately want a quarterback, say next year or in 2025, um, they're going to probably have to trade multiple picks to get up to the quarterback that they want to select. So we're talking about kind of interesting picks. What did you guys think of the 49ers taking a kicker in the third round? I thought it was in, I, I thought they were going to go running back. I was surprised by this, but then John Lynch comes out and says, that's the only starting position that we needed to, to fill this moody kid out of Michigan looks to be probably the best kicker in the draft. Were you guys surprised by that? And do you think it was a good pick? Tyler, go ahead. Well, I'm, ne- I'm in New England, so I'm never surprised. I had my team <laughs> trade up for a kicker, draft a punter. I'm surprised a long snapper wasn't in the draft class. I mean, you know, so yeah, you're never surprised about that. It's a luxury pick, right? For a San Francisco 49ers team, yeah. that is, like I like I said with Cincinnati, they're a ready-made Super Bowl contender. They can kind of pick and choose where they want to go. Now, under normal drafts, uh, mantras and rules, do you do that? Probably not. But you are a team that's ready to go to win a Super Bowl. If you feel like that's going to be the linchpin and you may maybe not making it and getting over that hump, then sure, you make that selection. But again, that's more of a luxury. This is more the exception to the rule than anything else, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a nice way to put it. Um, and I don't want to come on here and I don't want to come on here and bash Katie's team. She's been a hey, gracious host. It's controversial. But what Tyler said in there in the middle of that, I think is spot on. And it's, it's obviously kind of what I believe in that you have to go by the rules and to pick a kicker at 99 overall Yes, maybe he was the only starter available, but the 49ers should know like depth matters. They've had George Kittle out and they had Jimmy Garoppolo out. They've had so many injuries along their defensive line, offensive line. They had Debo Samuel a few years ago, not on the field for a long stretch that ultimately hurt their playoff seating. So it's hard for me to say, for me to believe a GM and just say, okay, he was the only starter available. There's depth Mm -hmm. needed in today's NFL, but I did like Darrell Luter the cornerback from South Carolina. I gave it an A plus. I absolutely Ooh. thought he was worth probably a second or a third round pick. He was athletic at South Alabama. He was productive there. Great in coverage, very technically sound, great tackler as well. To get him in round five, he kind of feels like that late round secondary player that's actually been pretty good in this John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan era. All right. Love to hear it. Yeah, it's it, it was interesting. I was I was shocked by it. Um, it, we love Robbie Gold, too. So kind of bummed to see him still in free agency. But all right, let's move on to our B grades and let's start with you, Sully. I'll go with the Buffalo Bills and traps. You'll know this this quite well as a Bills fan. I mean, this to me, I feel like at the top, they had great value in Osiris Torrance. I thought that that was a great piece for them on the interior of the offensive line. And then in that first round trading up to go get Dalton Kincaid, a legitimate Travis Kelsey like option for now that Josh Allen is going to have in that offense. To me, him injecting into that offense, they needed another pass catcher. I think we all thought it might be a wide receiver. They might get in on that wide receiver run. But this is the next best thing. If they want to have a, another guy on a next to Dalton Knox, you bring in a guy like Kincaid who could legitimately be that legit pass catching force in this offense. To me, those first two moves I really loved. Yeah, I think... I was a little lower on Kincaid than everyone else because he was really kind of like a one-year wonder and he's a little bit older. But what you laid out, uh, Sully, I think makes perfect sense that they certainly needed that. There was some thought here in Western New York that they were going to like go defensive line and edge rusher again, and that would have drove everyone in Bills Mafia insane. So the fact that they kind of helped Josh Allen, that was a priority. I think that's smart for them when they're having to contend with the Chiefs, with the Bengals, and there's a 
bunch of teams, even the Jets, the Chargers in the AFC that can really score points. This is weird because Sully's in New England. He's a Patriots guy. He picks the Bills. I'm in Buffalo. I'm a Bills guy. <laughs> I'm going to pick the Dolphins. I really oh. liked what they did. Second straight draft that they only had four draft selections, which is not really the best way long-term to build out that depth that I was just talking about with the 49ers. But Cam Smith at 51, I thought he became clearly the most underrated, like number one corner capable prospect in this class. 2021, he was outstanding and he was on everyone's way too early mock drafts in the first round in May of last year. And I didn't think he was much worse. I thought he was actually just as good in terms of finding the football interceptions, pass breakups, being sticky in coverage. He does tend to hold a little bit down the field, but I think he can learn from Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. I gave it a little bit of a lower grade in real time because I didn't think that was the biggest need, but then Devin a chain uh, just feels like a Mike McDaniels pick. He is so fast hit the front side of that wide zone stretch run that they love to use. Um, I love that selection. And then um, Elijah Higgins, kind of this wide receiver, tight end hybrid. Mike McDaniel said after the draft, he is going to transition over to tight end. Um, chiseled frame, yards after the catches there. So I think obviously it's easy when you're like looking at draft grades or evaluating a draft and to pick the winners is the teams that had 13 picks and 14 picks. How about the team that only had four picks, the fewest amount of any club? I think the Dolphins, especially with their first three selections, maybe didn't address the biggest needs, but I think they got three really good players in such a tiny draft class. Yeah, I'm with you there on the A-chain pick, too. It's just hilarious at how fast this Dolphins offense is going yeah, to be. You look, at, you look at the 40 times, A-chain, 4.32, 99th percentile, Tyree Kill, 4.34, Jay Jalen Waddle, 4.37, and the slow poke of the group, Raheem Mostert, 4.43. It is <laughs> it's nuts. absolutely remarkable. This is going to be the fastest team in the NFL. Well, Dom in the chat says the Dolphins are building an Olympic track team, a 4 by 100 relay team. And yeah, hard to argue that one. I would love to uh, see those guys compete with this one. All right, we're going to take a very quick break here, but we're look, we're giving draft grades right now. Um, before we take our break, how should you feel about your team's latest picks? The With the First Pick podcast is your source for a comprehensive draft coverage and pick breakdowns with CBS Sports NFL experts. Ryan Wilson and longtime general manager Rick Spielman. Ryan and Rick will recap each day of the draft, dishing out winners and losers from all seven rounds. And the draft chatter doesn't stop on Saturday. Stay tuned to the show for team-by-team draft grades and an early look at who your team could be eyeing next year. Download and follow with the First Pick podcast wherever you find this one. You're watching Pick 6. We'll be right back. Get breaking news. Big news coming out of the NFL today. Highlights and instant reactions. The largest final round comeback in four championship history. We're down to the final four. I just want to take time to analyze greatness. Talk winners and losers with a guy who's already a big winner. CBS Sports HQ. It's all sports all day long. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back here on the Pick 6 Podcast. If you're not following us on social, please do that at Pick 6 Pod across all social media platforms. Did we finish the bees or did I cut y'all off early for a break? We finished the bees, I think. I think we're yeah. under the seas now. Yeah. Okay, so we did the top half. Now let's kind of get towards the bottom half and the grading. Who had an average draft? And Traps, we'll start with you. I'll go with the Dallas Cowboys. And this is like, it's kind of what Tyler was kind of referencing earlier. Like, I usually go by the draft rules, the draft philosophies. Mozzie Smith at 26. I didn't have him graded that high. And it wasn't because I thought he was a bad player, but he plays nose tackle. And he's not a elite pass rushing nose tackle. And I think in today's NFL, in round one, even at 26 overall, you're just not getting the positional value with a nose tackle. He needs to be like Dexter Lawrence 2.0 to be someone that's worthwhile in the first round playing that position. I don't think he will be. There are some rumblings that the Bills actually moved right in front of them to pick Dalton Kincaid, who they were eyeing at 26 overall. So that was kind of a loss for them. His teammate, Luke uh, Schoonmaker from Michigan, 58 overall, just trying to get the, all the picks down here correct. A lot of people liked him. And from talking to people around the league, they thought, wow, he blossomed in his final season. He's older before this season, he barely had any production at all. He did test pretty well. I just thought that was a little bit too early, although that was a need uh, at tight end that I certainly think Dallas needed. The only other pick that I really liked, Viliami Fajoko, the edge rusher from San Jose State. Pete Prisco, absolutely loved this guy. I saw it too on film. Play. I kind of kind of compared him, yeah, to uh, Matthew Judon. Similar size, similar handwork. He's an advanced pass rusher was on the draft radar for multiple seasons because even in 2020 as a sophomore, he looked ready to go in terms of beating blockers with his hands. Um, Asim Richards, I think, is more of a long-term option along the offensive line. I like the certainly the Deuce Vaughn story that his dad's the scout. He got to make the call to get him. But in general, a team that I think with a good draft could have really taken – I don't want to say a stranglehold on the NMC because they have the Eagles there in the division, but really could have like cemented themselves as one of the elite teams, just a little bit underwhelmed. Didn't hate it. But that's why I gave the Cowboys 2023 draft a C. Yeah. It kind of feels like the momentum of all these positive drafts of the last few years, Micah Parsons, mm -hmm. you know, yep. Trayvon Diggs, all these guys that they've brought in. And it kind of felt like we didn't get that impact guy in this draft. I mean, we might, yep. you never know who will pop up, but it didn't feel like we were kind of following along, but I'm with you. I, I did love that. Obviously the Deuce Vaughn storyline as well. I'm going to stay in Texas with my C grade. I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. And I feel like this is a controversial one because they did come away with two of the five best prospects in the entire class, but I'm giving them a C here, and it's really about the return or the, what they had to give up 
to go get Will Anderson at number three overall. They had people thinking, oh, okay, they've given a first round pick. It's got to be the Cleveland first round pick that they got in the Deshaun Watson trade. Nope. It's actually their first round pick in 2024. This is not a football team that is going to be particularly competitive in 2023 that's going to be a high pick some people could say it might be the number one overall pick in a draft where a guy like Caleb Williams is coming out who is clearly a better quarterback prospect out of the guys that I think we've seen here so far he's someone that's been compared to Patrick Mahomes which is absolutely insane the fact that you're taking yourself out of that running even though I know you drafted CJ Stroud I know you believe you have that guy but that pick will be infinitely more valuable even if cj stroud becomes the offensive rookie of the year has a great year you just don't have a great record you're in that top five in that top two possibly the number one overall pick that you just gave up for will anderson that's a lot of pressure to put on that kid so that to me is why i'm giving them a c here it's not a failing grade and he's getting a good player but man that just feels like a real high price for a guy and that's spot on because with draft grades it's not just about the players i've said it a couple times it's also uh, where these players should be picked, the positional need, the positional value. And then this last point that Tyler just brought up, the trade value. And right now you can look at a trade chart and a lot of them, our own um, RJ White has an awesome trade chart that we all use, but you don't know what that future pick is going to be. There's just kind of like a placeholder in there right now. If that's a top five or even a top seven pick next year, that could be the player that could help the Texans take that next step to become a contender in what is a loaded AFC. And now they don't have it. So I think you're right. Um, I, I didn't hate the two players that they got Stroud and Anderson there, but again, that early pick you're spot on is super duper valuable for a team that I think is still like in the beginning stages of the rebuilding process. Yeah, exactly. And that's it's interesting that you say that because after our recap of the very first show, that's what I asked. I said, was this franchise changing or was it irresponsible of them to do this? Because yeah, with Deshaun Watson, they had so many picks that could have lasted them for years. You've got a brand new coach at the beginning stages of your rebuilding. Do you blow it all on the very first draft? And I guess we'll have to see how it works out. It's a gamble either way. But that's kind of my feeling on it, too, uh, over there, Sully. Yeah, to me, what I think this this was was the owner wanting one player and the director of player personnel and the GM (laughs) wanting another player. And they compromise saying, hey, you know what? We'll just trade up and take both of them. It's not really the best way to do business. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the D grade, the lowest grade we're going to give people. We're not giving out any Fs. Dom in the chat says Denver gets a D for drafting. Okay. We're actually not going to read that. Um, All right. Moving on here. Who are we giving Ds to? Dom, settle down in the chat over there. Tyler, want to start? Yeah, I'll I'll stay here in my backyard, go with the New England Patriots. I, I, I don't think that they had a particularly impactful draft from this standpoint. I don't feel any different about them than I did going into it than I do going out of it. I don't feel like they've gained much ground, if any, in the rest of this loaded AFC East that now has Aaron Rodgers on top of Josh Allen and an emerging Miami team. Christian Gonzalez, it was great that he was able to fall to to them at number 17. He fell to them at number 14. And we're able to take him a few picks later. That's going to be a great pick for them. Bill Belichick's Every good Patriots team has a shutdown corner, whether it had been Stephon Gilmore, Darrell Revis, go all the way back to Ty Law. This guy might have that potential to be that number one corner. I mean, there were talks of him maybe going in the top 10. The fact that he was there at 17 was interesting. Keon White's another guy that was possibly a day one pick, fell to them at day two. But one of the big things that I thought this Patriots team needed, other than to address some things on the defense, particularly a number one corner, was an offensive tackle. 
They have nobody really signed going into 2024. All these guys that they have, whether it be Trent Brown, Riley Reef, all of these guys are signed through 2023, and that's it. And Isaiah Wynn's still out there on the free agent market. There is nobody to protect Mac Jones for the long term. And the fact that they didn't take a quarterback in this draft leads me to believe that he is going to be their guy going into 2023. You're putting him in a position to succeed because you finally gave him an offensive coordinator. You made some moves in free agency, but you didn't really go as far as I thought you could have by getting an offensive tackle or getting a top tier receiver on day two. Yeah, really well said. I In doing these uh, real-time grades for the draft tracker, I was like bumping them down like a half a letter grade each time because I was like, why is there not offense being picked? They didn't pick anyone on offense until round four, Jake Andrews, who I did like out of Troy, a center. Like I, I just felt like they needed more explosiveness and even signing Juju Smith-Schuster. He's not really an, an explosive player at this point. I like Kayshawn Boutte in the sixth round. Um, the small receiver, Demario Douglas from Liberty kind of feels like that old school Patriots nifty slot receiver. I just felt like there should have been, especially like Tyler said, inside the division with the teams that can score points, Buffalo, the uh, Jets and the Dolphins, you need to be able to be more dynamic offensively. And they had a chance to do that with how many picks they had kind of shied away from it. I will say though, the Patriots always pick. Uh, a mid-round offensive lineman I love. Joe Tooney's one of them. Um, Hajolte Froholt from Arkansas. Didn't really turn out. I think he's with the Browns now. Loved him uh, coming out of Arkansas. City Sow from Eastern Michigan. I think he's going to be that next Michael Onwenu type. Another one, fifth-round pick, um, who completely overlooked. Weird name. No one knows how to say it. And will be a very good player in New England. Yes, they probably needed offensive tackle, um, but I think to continue to fortify the interior of that offensive line with Mac Jones not being the most mobile quarterback, I think was actually pretty good drafting. But the punter, you know, trading up for a kicker, the punter, um, I, I do tend to agree with Sully that it wasn't an absolutely brutal draft, but it didn't really move the needle when it needed to be moved in this AFC East. Well, Billy asked in the chat, when was the last time that the Patriots drafted well? What do you think, Sully? They- always have weird drafts they always have weird drafts that's all i just wanted to say on that tyler go ahead you're the patriots guy no i know i think you have to go back a long ways i mean even the last few years it's been better coming away with guys like ramondre stevenson obviously Mm -hmm. mac jones bailey zappy even like they've been able to have a few hits kyle duggar is someone who i think they've really hit on and that was kind of an obscure pick in the second round for them but man when you say a top to bottom draft i mean i think you have to go all the way back what is that 2012 where they got Dante, Dante Hightower, Hightower and Chandler Jones yep. in the first round. That, to me, is probably maybe the McCourty-Rob Gronkowski draft. But that's how far back we're going. These guys are all, you know, half of these guys I'm talking about are retired. So, you know, it, it hasn't been good, and it's part of the reason why they are where they are right now. Yeah, I'm cheating right now looking on their draft history on Sports Reference. 2012 was pretty good with those two at the top. Um, man, uh, 20... 2016, Joe Tooney, Jacoby Brissett, Alandon Roberts, Ted Karras. That was a pretty good one. Mm. But of late, even when they're bigger draft classes, there have only been, you know, uh, Damian Harris here, uh, Jared Stidham. It's been kind of tough sledding for the Patriots. And and I agree. It was easy for the Patriots. We didn't realize even at the end of the Tom Brady era that, like, they weren't really drafting well because he covered up so many of those flaws. But now we're kind of seeing that without that, greatest quarterback of all time that you 
certainly have to hit on more of those picks. We'll see what ultimately happens with this draft and last year's draft, but on paper, going with the kicker and the punter again, trading up for those guys, didn't love it. But I do like that they selected a lot of picks. Like you need a lot of roles at the table if you're just going to say, hey, look, we're only going to hit on 20 or 30% of these guys. They made what? Over 10 picks in this draft? Yeah, it seemed like they uh, had 10 in the fourth round alone. Yeah, yeah, 13, I think. So I like that side of it, but it it is seemingly becoming a trend that the Patriots have these obscure drafts. And I think it comes from like Bill Belichick saying like, what? We have like 100 uh, players with draftable grades. I always wonder how are they making all these picks later because they usually have a bunch of those day two and day three selections. Is this going to be a big part of Bill Belichick's legacy, right? One of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. Not a, not a great GM, not great at drafting. Is this is this become part of the conversation with Bill Belichick and his inability to draft well? Yeah, I, I do think that there's part of the uh, arrogance is not the right word. That's a little too harsh of a word, but I do think that there's a cockiness that oh well, you know what? He's kind of a B player, but I can coach him to a B plus, and that's the, he, he takes the low floor. High, or high floor, low ceiling guys, and he feels like he can coach them up. He doesn't necessarily take those home run swings that have low floors that completely bottom out. So that to me, that's kind of been the issue for him. He's relied a little bit too much on his coaching and not really trying to get that top tier talent. Yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt his legacy that much, but I do think it is important to point out that despite his defensive genius over, you know, what, four decades now, greatest coach in history of the league, I think unquestionably. And he's done so good, you know, trading players at the end of their prime and, and, and getting good return on that. I do think we have to point out that the drafting history, any of the skill position players, I really think past Rob Gronkowski early in the draft have not been very good. That's just part of, I think the story of Bill Belichick, but I don't think at this stage with how many Super Bowl rings he wears um, that it, it hurts it that much. I would agree. All right. Um, do we, Traps, do you have one more D to give? Are we done with the... Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Let's talk about the Falcons because that was the one that I got the most like hate for or is most controversial. Ooh. And I won't go crazy in depth because I'll sound like a broken record. It wasn't about B. John Robinson. I loved him as a player, but running back, it's not even just that the position is devalued. It's that you can get close to the same production later in the draft. If you pick a quarterback number one overall, you can't just say, oh, we'll just wait on that player. We'll pick a quarterback in round six and get something similar. Running back, you can do that. And that's not to say that B. John Robinson is just a run-of-the-mill type. But last year, the Falcons had a 1,000-yard runner, Tyler Algier, who averaged almost five yards per carry. And they picked him in the fifth round. They uh, added Cordell Patterson. They acquired him, and he was a wide receiver that they turned into a really fun, awesome for your fantasy team back late in his career. If any team should know like, Hey, we can just kind of make it work with these running backs in this system with this offensive line, it's the Falcons. So that really uh, dragged down their grade, picking a running back when they already have two capable guys there. I did not love Matthew Bergeron at 38 overall. I think he's got a ways to go with his balance, with his pass protection. He's a good run blocker, which kind of fits the scheme. But I think in today's NFL, if you're saying, hey, look, we're doing everything we can to become a ground-and-pound run team, you're just not going to be as efficient as other teams in the league. But I understand that like the NFC South is not very good, and they were pretty close to actually winning that division last year. 
So it's not like I think that this draft is going to tank them into the top five of the draft. Just they had a chance to really take hold of the NFC South, and I just didn't like those first two picks. Uh, the one selection I did like, Zach Harrison, long edge rusher, decently bendy for being kind of a bigger guy from Ohio State. They needed edge rusher, even though they signed Bud Dupree. I, I like that pick. The rest of their draft, I thought a lot of those picks were not bad players, just pick like a round or even two rounds too early. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you with the Bijan Robinson piece. And it's the same thing that we talk about with Jameer Gibbs, right? It's it's not the mm-hmm. players. They're going to be first-round fantasy guys. Everybody's going to love them. They're probably going to be in the contention to be offensive rookie of the years. They're going to get all those accolades. They're going to be in that conversation. It's where they take them. It's it's like you said. you can And go who you could have picked instead exactly. of picking them. And yeah. if you're Atlanta, number eight, you can move down. And, and still be, and maybe not in the Bijan conversation, but certainly you, we thought they could have been in the Jameer Gibbs conversation. If you don't feel like there is a prospect there, go and get more assets. We just saw what the Arizona Cardinals were able to do with the number three overall selection, really building their future up quite nicely in terms of draft capital. You could have done that because, again, you're a rebuilding team. This isn't something that's going to be fixed overnight, even though you play in a division that's not as competitive. All right, those are the grades from our guys. We're going to take a quick break here. You're watching the Pick 6 Podcast, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Phenomenal! Absolutely magisterial here! Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Sully and Travs. And today is the 2023 NFL Draft Recap Show. Make sure you keep it locked with us all week long to stay up to date on your NFL offseason news. And like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. All right, fellas, let's talk a little betting now. Obviously, a lot of gambling storylines going into the draft. We've talked about it on this show. We gave out draft odds, what we were leaning towards, all of those things. Let's talk about maybe some of the things that happened. Like, for one, the sports books absolutely cleaned up on Levis props. Mm. There was that anonymous Reddit user that posted <laughs> that he was going to go number one overall. Look at these. I was just reading this article. Look at this. At BetMGM, Levis closed as the most bet number one overall with 29% wow. of the handle. At PointsBet, he had 25% of the handle. DraftKings, someone felt so strongly about this. They they threw down $2,000 at plus 1,000 odds. Would have won them $20,000. The point of this is like, don't get conned. Listen to the draft analysts. Don't listen to Reddit and random people posting on there. But I thought this was just so interesting at how volatile this process can be with betting. And the public got hosed on this. 
Well, not only that, it, it, this has been, I think, unlike other drafts where at least there was one clear-cut number one overall pick, this was a merry-go-round in terms of odds, whether it was Bryce Young. It eventually ended up going back to Bryce Young, but it started with Bryce Young, went to Anthony Richardson, it went to C.J. Stroud, and then some Reddit dudes talking about Will Levis, and then we go back to Bryce Young. I think the volatility with all that is really what helped the sports books out a little bit. Because if there's you know Trevor Lawrence sitting there and you're not even really thinking about anything else there at number one, the rest of the pieces kind of fall into place, I think, a little bit more neatly. But because there was so much volatility, at least you know on the outside, whether or not the Carolina Panthers were on Bryce Young from day one and move forward, that's for them to only know. But from the outside, it looked like they were still going through that decision-making process, which, again, is why I think those odds were so crazy. And to that point, I think it was like believable that Bryce Young might not be the first pick because of his size, yeah. that he was kind of unprecedentedly small. If they were all like 6'2", 220, I think Bryce Young, like everyone would have understood, like he's going to be the pick. Um, what I thought was funny, and this is not to take a shot at ESPN, but during the draft, as Levis was falling, I think it was getting toward the end of the first round, whatever their model is, it just said per ESPN analytics that Will Levis had a 0.1% chance to not be a first round pick, which to me was like mind blowing. And I think that speaks to why Vegas was so happy and they made so much money off all of us thinking Maybe he would even go number two overall to the Houston Texans. Ultimately, doesn't get picked until the second pick in round two. And I think I, I do think that I, maybe Houston kind of played it right. And I guess in in there, I know they gave him a C here for how much they had to spend for the number three overall pick. But I do think the fact that they kind of kept things close to the vest that what they were going to do at number two, possibly take Will Anderson and just pass on a quarterback entirely. Then when they take the quarterback, all the trade conversations that Arizona was having with all these teams to try to trade up to go get CJ Stroud, go out the window, they swoop in and make that trade. I do think that that would have been interesting to see how it would have unfolded. If another team traded up at number three yeah. and took a quarterback, then maybe Levis goes to four to Indianapolis. And then we're having a completely different conversation. Right, exactly. And, and and to this point, the under four and a half quarterbacks is what ended up cashing. I think that was probably one of the more popular bets was that yeah. over. I think a lot of people thought five quarterbacks were going to go in the first round. And we saw three go off the board immediately within the top five. And then not again when Levis and Hendon Hooker goes. Were you guys surprised? And, and you kind of already touched on this, Sully, that that trade kind of changed everything. But were you on that over or under that four and a half quarterbacks? Well, I was on the over because I think the team should value the fifth-year option for these quarterbacks. I think that was the crux of a lot of this conversation. Now, maybe the Hendon Hooker thing was going to be a little bit of a tougher sell, older prospect, coming off an ACL, played in a, a different type of offense at Tennessee that probably doesn't translate super, super well to the NFL. So that one might have been a stretch. But to me, what I thought was interesting, and Traps, I'd love to get your opinion on this, is that Tennessee traded up in the second round to go get Will Levis. Great value for them. But that was to what? Number 33 overall, if I'm correct. You couldn't have traded to 31 just to get that fifth-year option, that security for that quarterback that you have? Yeah, I knew like that's probably where like a lot of people were thinking and like where you were going with that. And the Chiefs would certainly have traded down. I mean, Brett Veach has traded back a bunch. He's moved up and down the board. Um, I was thinking that as that was going on, as we were seeing those shots of Will Levis – um, in the green room, not getting picked that, yes, some team is going to trade up for Teddy Bridgewater. It happened. Lamar Jackson. It happened. Uh, I, I was really surprised that if Tennessee was like, Hey, he's getting kind of close and they decided to do it on Friday, they should have really done it on Thursday traded with the, either the Eagles or the chiefs at 30 or 31. 
um, to get that super duper valuable fifth year option. Yeah. Another interesting one was the over one and a half running backs cash. I think nobody was really that surprised that B. John Robinson was selected by the Falcons. He was rumored to be the favorite. It was a little bit surprising that Gibbs went to the Lions, considering they have DeAndre Swift and they have um, David Montgomery under contract next season. Were you guys surprised to see this over one and a half running backs cash in the first round? I can start here. I wasn't shocked because like late in the I like I guess I'll say mock draft process, we started to hear some rumblings that Gibbs was maybe going to go like 30 to the Eagles or like 21 to the Chargers, or there was going to maybe be a team, maybe the Bengals, maybe the Vikings at 23, um, that he was going to go in the first round. And I think with the 4-3 speed, it was believable and that he was really good on film at Alabama marquee program. The fact that it was in the top 12, yes, that was absolutely shocking to me. And I think that kind of speaks for everyone because no one had both of these guys getting selected that early, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's the big story, right? It's not that, uh, that two running backs went in the first round. That could happen in the back end, like you were saying, Traps. But the fact that it happened as high as it did and the fact that there were two running backs off the board before any wide receiver was taken, yeah. I think is one of Nuts. the bigger upsets of the NFL draft. Yeah. Well, and that leads me actually into the fact that four wide receivers were taken off the board at the, at the same time or right back to back because those odds were three and a half. And it, the fact that it went so quickly, I felt like people were really sweating that one out. Were you guys surprised to see four receivers go in a row? No, uh, which Tyler, is because I, I do think that you see runs on these prospects, right, Traps? It's like, you know, once the tackle market starts going, it goes and it goes quick. Once the wide receiver market starts going, it goes and it goes quick. I think a team that missed out on this was the New York Giants, where I think it was the it was the uh, Seattle Seahawks with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba who started the run. And then it ended right before the New York Giants were on the clock. And there was reports from the Athletics saying that they were trying to trade up to get into that run to get Zay Flowers. But they just missed out, obviously, Flowers going to Baltimore. Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I mean, we had never seen four receivers get picked with four consecutive selections in draft history. So I guess from that perspective, that was unprecedented. Um, I never fully bought into, like, there was kind of a rumor out there relatively early in the draft process. Or I guess it was, like, like right after the Combine that JSN was the only receiver that had a first-round grade for a lot of teams. It just felt like even with the lesser workout, Jordan Addison was going to find his way in the first round. Quentin Johnston was on the draft radar for multiple seasons because he's big, had a 40-inch vertical. Um, it, it, it did seem like a class that around where they got picked in the 20s is where they ultimately would go. And it kind of made sense for all those teams that picked the receivers that maybe if it wasn't the Seahawks, like Sully's saying, it would have been the Giants at 25. So there was a cluster of teams from 20 to, I really think, even the Chiefs all the way at the end of the first round at 31 that were all kind of very firmly in the wide receiver market. That was, to me, one that seemed like a lock right before the draft. Okay, I wish I would have put money on that one. All right, one that kind of surprised me, and we talked about where the books cleaned up on Levis, where betters got back is the under two tight ends in the first round. Only Kincaid ended up going in the first round, which was a surprise to me. That was at plus 285 odds if you cash on this under two tight ends. Did you guys think that there would be another tight end called up in the first round? I did. I mean, I thought whether it was all those – uh, or the two tight ends that went early in the second, Sam Laporta and Michael Mayer. Kincaid seemed kind of locked in because of how good his final season was at Utah. He did have the injury, but like a week or two before the draft, he got cleared. I just felt like maybe even Darnell Washington, who ultimately didn't go until the fourth round, would have 
fallen. But there was the kind of the opposite school of thought where anyone that bet the under would have said, hey, look, these teams understand how deep this class is and that they can wait. And that's ultimately what most of these teams did. Yeah, I think that that's I think you hit it right there. I think that this is that was one of the calling cards for this draft. It was a tight, uh, deep tight end class. And the fact that these teams see that they go, hey, listen, we're not going to overextend ourselves for somebody because we feel like we can get a similar talent in a couple of picks or a couple of rounds. It's the same thing that we were talking about with running backs. You know, yes, obviously, Bijan Robinson, super talented. But can you get? something closer to value later on in the draft as opposed to, you know, missing out on a top tier corner or quarterback. So I think it was kind of that same argument. What's yeah. funny about this. Just let me jump in here quick. I love to do this like right after the draft, where if you switch the order that a team picked two players, mm-hmm. the lions picked Sam Laporta after trading back at 12, it would have seemed early, but I really, really liked him. I think his yards after the catch is great. Reminds me a lot of George Kittle. They would have picked him at 12 and then Jameer Gibbs at 34. I probably would have liked the draft more. So maybe that kind of speaks to that. It is a little bit silly with these draft grades, Um, but that kind of surprised me that we didn't see those tight ends, but we did get Laporta and Michael Mayer off the board very early in the second round. Yeah. Before we get out of here, because this is going to this is going to wrap up our coverage today. What was your favorite moment overall of the draft? I mean, it's got to be Vaughn going to the Cowboys, right? And that phone call, especially when when they released the actual audio of the conversation between him and his dad and Jerry Jones being choked up. I mean, that was probably a moment for the ages. But is there another moment maybe for either of your teams that you were like, yeah, this is amazing? Well, I won't go with my team. I'll just go with Joey Porter Jr. going to the Pittsburgh Steelers at the top of the second round. To me, that's just – that is unbelievably cool to see him with his, you know, old pictures of him when his dad's yeah. winning the Super Bowl in a Steelers uniform. To me, that is probably the one that I thought resonated with me the most. Okay, my pick is not as good as either of your picks, but how about just in general that we got on draft morning, Lamar Jackson on Instagram announcing his five-year deal. Um, and suddenly from like two weeks ago, it was like, what are the Ravens going to do? Has Lamar made a bad decision, not hiring an agent? What's going to happen? Signs the deal. We hear about it to kind of give us something to talk about while we're all waiting for the draft to start. They signed Odell Beckham Jr. What, two weeks ago. That helps the offense. And then in the first round, they draft Zay Flower. So I think the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, they all look considerably better uh, with a brighter future than they did even like less than a month ago. So to me, for Lamar Jackson, hats off to him for doing that himself, getting the big payday, and then getting two good wide receivers added to the offense. Yeah. Billy's got a favorite moment as well. And, you know, we've been relegating him out of here because we don't want to hear how good the Eagles did in their draft. But what was your favorite moment? Well, so, you know, I'll save everybody. It's not Eagles related, uh, Eagles related <laughs> but it did also happen right after the draft ended. My cousin, Tyler Richardson, he got uh, signed by the uh, Indianapolis Colts. So when to give him a little shout out there to my cousin, hopefully he makes that 53 man roster. Uh, but very proud of him. He won three national, three uh, state championships in the city of Cincinnati. Uh, so yeah, where he's from. So yeah, uh, congrats That's to him. Cool. I want to give him a That's shout. That's awesome. Out. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, congrats to him and uh, also to your family. All right, guys. That's going to wrap up the show today. Make sure you join us tomorrow at 1 p.m. for all of your off-season coverage. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. I will tell you this three times a show, every single show. If you listen to audio, do the same. Download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. We'll see you tomorrow.